It's highly unlikely that I need to remind you that we live in a world in 2017 that has a lot of noise. Let me throw a couple of statistics at you, which I don't know if these will blow your mind or not. Our world is incredibly noisy every minute of every day. So get, not every day, every minute of every day, there are 204 million emails sent. Every minute of every day, 204 million emails sent. There are 2.4 million shares on Facebook. There are 27,000 reviews on Yelp. This is every minute of every day. Now, that's just a few. I haven't included text messages, uh, Facebook messages, people tagging you and you get the notification, someone's tagged you in a photo or tagged you on Instagram, uh, direct messages on Instagram, Snapchat, push notifications, uh, occasional phone calls, they're the ones that drive me the craziest. <laughs> Why are you phoning me? Um, getting a notification that someone's invited you to like their page on Facebook. No, that's amazing. You know, the worst one, the one that really, really bothers me the most is you get a notification telling you that someone's invited you to join a group on Facebook. And I'm calling BS on that because the way it's set up is they're not actually inviting you to join a group. You get a notification saying they've invited you to join a group, but actually you've already joined the group. You don't get to join it, you actually have to actively leave the group. Every morning when I get up and I check my Facebook, I am leaving groups that I never even heard of that I've been added to by people I've never even met. Drives me crazy. Anyway, a lot of noise. You know this and I know this. Messengers, messages floating around all day, every day. It's why I turn my phone off when I go to bed at night because it'll just keep ping, 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 ping all through the night if I didn't. In the midst of all the messages that are floating around, there is one message, and I'm not gonna say it stands head and shoulders above all of the other messages because that's the challenge I'm gonna be talking about. But for me, it's a message that should stand above all of the others. It should rise above the noise. In fact, it's the message that needs to rise above the noise. And it's the message that you and I, because we were living below God's best, below His standard, were separated from Him because imperfection can't exist in the midst of perfection. Unholiness can't exist in the midst of holiness. And so we were separated from God. We couldn't have a personal, unfiltered relationship with Him. But God wanted us to have a relationship with Him, even more than we wanted to have a relationship with Him. And He took it upon Himself to send His Son, Jesus, to die in our place, to actually be crucified on a cross, be buried in a tomb, but three days later overcome death, rise from the dead, leave the tomb, ascend into heaven, but He's taken our sins on Him. He died so we would never have to. And this is a message that'll bring hope to the hopeless, it'll bring courage to the discouraged, and ultimately it brings life to people that think death is the end. It gives us an opportunity to live in relationship with Jesus, not just after we die, but while we're here on this God-given earth. It's the best 
the most important message that, that's ever been sent. Now challenge is how do we, who are hopefully living that message, believing it, living it, wanting to declare it, how do we ensure that that message, the most important message that's ever, ever hit the earth, how do we make sure that message rises above the noise? Well, if you've been around the church's sphere for any length of time, some of you have, you may have heard a, a, a famous quote that's been accredited or attributed to San Francesco di Assisi, San Francis of Assisi. And, and it says this, preach the gospel, which is the message of Jesus, the good news, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Has anyone heard that uh, before, quoted before? All right, okay. There's two problems with that quote. The first problem is there's no evidence that Francis actually ever said that, which when you're quoting someone, it's important to find out if they said it in the first place or else it's fake news. The second problem is it actually doesn't work this way. This is like saying, feed the homeless at all times and when necessary, use food. Words are vital in preaching the gospel. We need to ultimately use words. Now, I wanna talk about something that Paul wrote, some instruction. If you tap our, uh, open our Elevate app, you can tap the Bible. It's gonna take you to a letter or a slice of a letter that, that Paul wrote to the church in a place called Colossae. Now, a little bit of backstory. Paul was a, a Jewish leader, Jesus appeared to him. At the time, Paul's uh, job description, his personal mission as a Jewish leader was to actually shut the church down, the early church, by killing the Christians. So effectively uh, eradicating them. And Jesus met him on the road and said, why are you killing my people? And Paul was like, whoa, so wow, you are alive. That's amazing. Paul turned his life around, became a follower of Jesus. And in fact, <laughs> moved his personal mission from shutting the church down to lighting the church up. And he made it his life mission to travel to, to parts of the earth, the known parts of the earth, particularly the most influential parts of the earth, the epicenters, and leading people to relationship with Jesus, starting a church, and then he would go to another place, hand that church over to a leader, raise a leader up, hand over to a leader, and go to another place. But he'd stay in relationship with the churches that he'd launched, often by way of writing them letters, letters of instruction, letters of encouragement, this one he wrote to the church in Colossae. You need to understand he wrote it while he was in prison. And it's funny, it, it, well, actually, that's no, funny. It's kind of awful, really, that his life turned around that now he was in prison because he was preaching about Jesus. In fact, not only in prison because he was preaching about Jesus, he was in prison because when he was confronted by the rulers at the time and, and given a cease and desist order, he refused to listen to it and refused to stop preaching about Jesus. And so the best thing they thought to do was to put him in prison because that'll shut him up. Well, he continued writing letters and he continued doing some other things. And this is a part of what he wrote to the church in Colossae. He said, pray diligently, stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. There's a life key right there. Don't forget to pray for us that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ, even while I'm locked up in this jail. Pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ plain as day to them. And as for you, use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. 
Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is actually to bring the best out in others in a conversation, not to put them down, not to cut them down. It's flipping awesome advice right there. You can take this into your workplace tomorrow. Let me just break it down. He says right at the beginning there, pray diligently. Louis preached about this two weeks ago, the final week of our Bulletproof series. If you missed that, you can go to our podcast and listen to that. It is foundational that we make prayer a way of life, communicating with God, listening, talking, listening, talking. Pray diligently, not occasionally, not once a year, diligently. Then Paul goes on to what I'm gonna talk about is write two slices. And they were two slices. They were written to the same audience, but they were, they were written for two different purposes, okay? First slice, don't forget to pray for us, that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ, even while I'm locked up in this jail. I pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ as plain as day. <laughs> Paul's mission, as I just mentioned, in this season of his life was to go around communicating the message of Jesus to people who hadn't heard the message before. Now he's in prison. The authorities wanna shut him down, shut him up, stop the spread of this new movement called the church. The, the, they called it the way, this, this, this growing groundswell that was a threat to the ruling authorities of the day. So they throw Paul in prison because that'll shut him up, nullify his powers. And so Paul writes to the church, pray for open doors. Pray that God will open doors. Now, that's an obvious thing to write to people when you're in prison. <laughs> if you're hatching an escape plan, get some people praying that God's gonna open some doors. And so you can just roll out of there. But Paul wasn't asking them to pray for the prison doors to be opened. He wasn't asking them to pray that he could be freed from prison. Well, then you think, well, well maybe he's, he's asking to be, if not freed from prison, he's maybe asking to be freed from hardship. But he didn't write and ask that either. He didn't ask for them to pray that he could get out of prison, nor did he ask that he could get out of the hardship, you know, maybe move me to a nicer cell, maybe one with foxtail, maybe, you know, running water, maybe a, a nice bidet, he didn't pray for any of these things. He prayed for open doors. He asked them to pray for open doors so that he could continue to share the message of Jesus whilst in the prison. Because he placed the mission of the message way higher than his personal comfort. And he understood that there are people in the prison, both the workers and the inmates, who need to hear about Jesus. And the only way they're gonna hear about Jesus is by someone on the inside sharing the message with them. So he's like, while I'm here, I don't know how long I'm gonna be here for, but I'm here now, I'm here for now. So while I'm here, church, can you please pray for me for open doors and opportunities, open doors and opportunities, open doors and opportunities. And you should get this because you've had some people you've told about Jesus and, and, and it wasn't that the doors were shut, it's just the heart was shut. It's the same thing. Pray for open doors, open hearts and opportunities, open doors and opportunities. 
Now, Paul was gifted in evangelism. There, there is actually such a thing, oh, evangelism, churchy word there. Man, boy, gosh, you'd think I'd have figured that one out before. Evangelism is a churchy word, which means spreading the good news, sharing the message of Jesus. Okay, so I might use that word evangelism a bit this morning, but now you've got the translation. I'm sorry, I don't come with subtitles. Um, Paul had the gift. And someone who has this gift, what, what you'll see in their life is, is God will present them with more than the average number of opportunities and more than the average no, uh, number of, um, more than the average level of effectiveness in sharing the message of Jesus. They'll, they'll have some, they'll have this extra power in them, this God-infused superpower that when they start talking about Jesus, people actually lean in rather than run away. A few years ago, um, we had a, 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 a gentleman named Michael Green. Now, Michael Green is a British a gentleman, uh, author of many, many books. Uh, he's a minister within the, the Church of England uh, in England. And he was here uh, speaking for a conference that we were organising here in Perth. And uh, he was staying um, at the, there's a, just near Mill Point Road in South Perth, there's a little, nice little complex called the Peninsula Apartments, overlooks this, the river in the city. And uh, so we put him up there for the, for the four, just four nights that he was here. And I was, I was hosting him. So I would pick him up and sh- chauffeur him around and drop him back and so on and so forth. And every morning, he'd, he'd have to come from his apartment, past the concierge into the car park to where I was waiting for him. And every morning he gave me an update, letting me know how much progress he was making at leading the receptionist to Jesus. He says, this is only day one, but I'm making progress. Then next day, he knew he had four days. So he's praying for open doors and opportunities. Day two, he gives me, he goes, oh, she's getting closer. This is this genteel, he's probably at the time in his late 50s, early 60s, young, and uh, bald and grey and British and, you know. Day three, oh, Mark, I gotta tell you, tomorrow's the day, it's gonna happen, I know it. Open doors and opportunities. Sure enough, I'm waiting in the car park, day four, he's running late, very uncharacteristic of him. He'd been very good, very punctual. I like punctual. He's running late. I'm getting ticked. He gets in the car about seven minutes after the ETA that we'd arranged for, and he says, uh, sorry, I'm late, old chap. Uh, it was just uh, the receptionist. Was, she was just on her knees accepting Jesus as her Lord. And I said, yeah, sounds about right. He has the gift of evangelism. Some of us could stay in that apartment for four months and possibly not, I'm not saying not, but possibly not have the same effectiveness as someone like Michael who has the gift of evangelism. I was attending a conference on the Gold Coast a few years ago and had a gentleman from a church there looking after me of Iraqi descent. His name was Sharky. And uh, Sharky, Uh, has the gift of evangelism. And uh, Shaki was a very, uh, he was a very different chap. Um, Incredible. Wore a suit at all times, uh, drove a BMW. Uh, He actually uh, worked for God full time, but for no pay. He just trusted that God would supply his needs as he lived out the gift of evangelism in his life. So we're at his church on Sunday morning, and then we, church finishes, we get in his car, we're heading to 
lunch at some cafe, whatever. And he's like, I've just got to get some fuel, got to top up my fuel tank on the way. So we pull into a BP, Servo, uh, translation for podcast listeners, gas station. And, uh, and he fills up and he goes in and, you know, he thinks it's just going to be a quick after post transaction. I mean, you can get in and out of those servos with a done. Would you like a receipt? No, it takes too much time. Bugger off. And, um, and he's taking a long time. And I'm like, you know, man, I'm hungry, you know. I'm a growing man. And, I, and, I'm, and then I look across, I look behind me, I look across into the, into the kiosk where the cashier is and the cashier is on their knees and he's obviously praying for them. And he comes back out and he goes, yep, 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 just, uh, just led the cashier to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So uh, where should we go for lunch? And I'm like, man, this is some serious, serious superpowers. That's the gift of evangelism. Not everyone has that gift. Some do. And by the way, you might have it. You might have it and know it. Or you might have it and not even knew, know it was a gift. But you're thinking, hey, when I talk about Jesus, people actually lean in and don't run away. It could be that you have the gift of evangelism. And Paul instructs the rest of us, the church, who, who don't have that gift in their sort of top three. He says, please, can you all pray for open doors and opportunities for us who have the gift so that we can be on the front lines helping God's kingdom go further faster? So that's slice number one. Even if you don't have the gift of evangelism, we have a part to play in supporting and investing with our prayers for those that do have the gift of evangelism, the Michael Greens, the Sharkies. By the way though, you don't have to be a professional paid full-time Christian working in a church setting to have and use the gift of evangelism. I was scrolling through Insta maybe two months ago. You know, does anyone else do this? The two screens, something on TV, but it's barely worth watching. So I'll pop over my iPad and Insta. Yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, same old rubbish. Uh, but you can click the little magnifying glass and it opens up this whole world of people with common interests. Uh, and I'm scrolling through there and I see this guy do a before and after of, of his face with tattoos, a before and an after. And it was the same face, same kind of amount of tattoos, but the tattoos look very different. And I'm like, huh, okay blows it up and he starts, this guy, his post was the, the fact that he was a gang member in his teens and early 20s, but he'd been led to this tattoo shop where the tattoo shop offered the service for free to actually cover up and kind of morph the tattoos of gang members. Because if you grew up as a gang member, this is in the US, but look, it's, it's, it's in various parts of the world. If you grew up as a gang member and you got your gang tattoos, you don't just wash them off if you leave the gang. And the problem is when people see you, having left the gang, see you with those tattoos, if you're a, a fellow gang member, they by association, they think you're still with them. If you're a, were formerly with an opposing gang member, you'll be subject to the same level of confrontation and violence as if you're still in the gang. And if you get spotted by the police, you'll get assumed that you're still in with the gang. So the only way, you can't, as I said, scrub them off. The only way is to, is to change the tattoos. Well, this is Chris Baker. Chris Baker grew up in LA. In 2011, he moved his family to a suburb of Illinois. 
opened up a tattoo studio, tattoo parlor, just a regular tattoo parlor, making, you know, putting ink on, paying, uh, charging people money for the service. He's a follower of Jesus. And God gave him the vision to offer within his tattoo studio the service for free to cover up and, and, and morph the tattoos of former gang members. And he started doing that. And he would do more of that and more of that. And, he st- and, he, and the numbers are in the hundreds. They're now in the thousands of gang, former gang members that he's covered their tattoos up with. You can Google his name, Chris Baker. You can see the work he's done. It's, it's astonishing. Well, a couple of years into this, he became aware that girls who miraculously and thankfully had been freed from sex trafficking, that they actually, almost every one of them carried some form of tattoo. And for them, this by the way, spoiler, this is disgusting, but it happens. Their tattoos would either be the name of the pimp, which was the pimp's way of signaling ownership, and or a barcode. And if you miraculously got freed from the sex trafficking industry, you were still left with the reminder that at one time you were owned and you had to wake up every day and see that name and or that barcode. And so Chris expanded his service, offering free cover-up tattoos to girls who'd escaped from sex trafficking. Well, it didn't stop there. He then had the idea to do the same for victims of domestic violence, many of whom had in, in brighter days had the name of their partner tattooed on some part of their body, but now they'd thankfully gotten out of the abusive relationship but still had to see the name of their ex-partner somewhere in their body every morning. He then expanded his service to offering cover-up to scarred survivors of cutting or self-harm. He then expanded his service to ex intravenous drug users to actually mask their tracks in various parts of their body. Because if you go to get a job interview and you turn up with tracks, you're probably not gonna get your resume pushed to the top of the pile. And he knew that. Now 80% of his tattoo shop's work is pro bono to those people that I just mentioned. He's a Christian and God gave him the vision from something that Paul wrote. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. But here's the thing. Pray for open doors and opportunities. When you are putting ink on somebody, you have a captive audience for hours, sometimes repeat visits. You're you're giving them a gift. You're not charging them. By the way, he has young children. And some weeks he says it's very difficult for him to even pay his own bills to put food on the table. So this is very much a faith venture. When you get to know that as you're having this tattoo covered up, getting a second chance that you can go for a job interview, that you can have the shame and and, and the memories somehow reduced, he knows there's an open door. He knows there's an opportunity and Chris uses those opportunities to share with people about Jesus. Hour after hour, day after day. And Paul says he's not paid by the church. He's out there in the wild. 
Paul says, pray for Chris Baker and others with the gift of evangelism for open doors and opportunities. And here's one thing, you may, one of the ways you may be able to tell if you've got this gift of evangelism is that for the last 10 minutes, you, you, you've been plotting the idea that I can't wait to get to work tomorrow because I know someone, I'm gonna talk with them about Jesus at the water cooler. Some of you, you might have this gift because you've been sitting there planning your next overseas vacation because you know for seven hours, you might have the chance to sit next to somebody, a captive audience, open doors and opportunities and share with them about Jesus. You may not have the gift of evangelism if for the last 10 minutes I've been talking about this, you have been terrified. That God may call you to launch a tattoo parlor and spend your days sharing with people about Jesus. But, but you don't get an out, and nor do I. I don't have that in my top three list of gifts, but I, but I have a job to do. One, pray for open doors and opportunities for those who do have the gift of evangelism. And then Paul gives a second slice. Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick, make the most of every opportunity. There's opportunities for us as well. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. I'll sum it up with two words, live differently. Last week, at our dad fest, I, I preached a message I called the making of a gentleman. And, and, and I used the passage as one verse from God's word to talk about what God had in mind when he made not just men, although I pitched it at men, but actually humankind, a vision of what that looks like. And, and again, if you missed it, listen to the podcast. I, I, I'll, I'll make you listen to the podcast if I had those superpowers because it, it, it gives clarity around the idea that God calls us as followers of Jesus to live differently. You and I don't have to live like the people around us. Paul gives us some bullet points. Speak with more grace. Bring out the best in others in a conversation. Don't put people down. Don't cut them out. Live differently. You don't have to tear people down when you talk about them. You can build them up. By the way, when you talk about people and put them down and they're not in the room, they are the weak and you're the bully because they're not even in the room to defend themselves. It makes you gutless, it makes you small, and it sure as hell doesn't make you live differently. Because by the way, most people, no, I shouldn't say most people, a lot of people use gossip and tearing others down as a bonding experience. Live differently, build people up. You know, as a follower of Jesus, you don't have to navigate difficult seasons and situations in your life the same as everyone else because you have the access to the peace and the wisdom of God. And the people around you can see how you're navigating difficulty because we still go through difficulty just like non-followers of Jesus. But they can see how that we're navigating it differently and it's like, huh, wonder what they got that I don't got. You don't have to be stingy like everyone else. 
Because as followers of Jesus, you and I understand that we have access to a God who has an endless source of provisions and his character and his nature is to love his children and provide for us what we need. And by the way, sometimes what we want, providing it's not gonna harm us. And when we live differently, here's what happens. Your life will become compelling because there's people are in your world, in your spheres, they've never read the Bible, but they're reading you every single day. And you can live in such a way that is compelling to them. You can build a platform that God will give you and I opportunities to speak from. Don't be surprised. If, 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 if you are the meanest, whingiest, stingiest, biggest gossip, smallest thinking, most cynical and negative person in your family, in your workplace, in your place of study, in your neighbourhood, don't be surprised if nobody wants to start smoking what you're selling. Hey, ain't nobody picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah, because you're putting down crap. Stop building your life on crap. Start building your life on how God calls us to live. Oh, how's that? Speak with more grace. More grace than someone else and more grace than you used to. Bring out the best in others in a conversation. Don't throw shade on people. Don't cut them out. Now, Back to Francis, he said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. I already called that one out. It is necessary to use words. But I think whoever said this, probably not Francis, whoever said this, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Let me paraphrase what I think the intent of that particular statement is. Be the good news at all times, and it will give you the opportunity to use words. Be the good news at all times, and your life will be so compelling, and you will have built such a platform that it will give you an open door and an opportunity to use words, to proclaim this greatest message that needs to be shared, that needs to rise above the noise. In a moment, in a few moments, I'm gonna actually ask you to stand with the name or names of somebody in your sphere that isn't yet a follower of Jesus. And I want us to stand and actually represent them. And I'm gonna pray from the front. And I don't know their names, but you'll have names. It could be one, it could be several. It could be a spouse, it could be a parent, it could be a child, it could be a colleague, it could be a boss, it could be an employee. Could be a neighbor, could be a cousin, could be someone you study with, could be someone you haven't seen for a little while. But by the way, <laughs> there is someone, just ask the question, who do I know that doesn't yet follow Jesus? There's gonna be names. If there's not, you're doing something wrong. You're living in some Christian bubble. And I'll flip and burst that bubble and put you out in the real world where you can be useful. Well, that'll be my prayer for you anyway. 
Before we do that, I wanna actually let you, kind of catch you up on how we collectively are going with this. See, our mission is not to drink great coffee, although we love drinking great coffee, but it's not our mission. Our mission is not to have Elevate groups and, and see them proliferating and flourishing, although we have Elevate groups and thankfully they're proliferating and, and flourishing, but it's not our mission. Our mission is not to have a great one hour live experience on a Sunday, sing great songs and have a great music team and put clever graphics up and, and, and that's not our mission. Our mission is not to build a world-class kids ministry, although that's the trajectory we're on. Our mission is not to build a world-class youth ministry, although that's the trajectory we're on with Elevate Youth. Our mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. And we measure that. How are we going with that? We don't measure how many people said the coffee was lovely this week. How are we going leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus? Well, in our app, there's a little Easter egg. And if you tap my Vespa in the bottom right corner, it'll take you to a little uh, menu list. You can do that right now. And in there is, is, is a new section we added called Progress Report. And it's a report for the last, well, 12 months, July to June, 2016 to 2017. And, and we've included stories and numbers. We collect stories and we count numbers because both matter. And I wanna just, I won't walk you through the report. It's there for you. You can pinch to Zoom. If that's a little bit too much for you, for your eyeballs, uh, tomorrow morning, we will be sending that out to our e-update list. So many of you are on that list. If you're not on that list, it'll come to you as a PDF, which you can actually read even if you don't have good eyesight. So you can join our e-update list from the next step in our app and you'll get our report sent to you automatically tomorrow. And it'll tell you about where we're progressing. We're, where we're progressing, we're progressing with Elevate Youth. Elevate Youth, we've seen the numbers nearly double in attendance on a Friday night at a Friday Night Live in the last 12 months. That's exciting. And that number continues to go up and the number of first time guests each week is steadily going up. Kids are inviting their friends along on a Friday night. It's fantastic. Our podcast is, uh, is astonishing in, in the rate of growth of listeners. And Australia is not our number one audience in terms of monthly downloads. Japan is. And I have no idea why. Konnichiwa, sayonara. and our digital influence from social media and our, and our website. And you'll see all this in our report. Where we're maintaining, so it's great, we are progressing. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, all right, yeah, good, all right. Then there's some areas we're maintaining. We're maintaining our connection into Elevate groups. The number of groups and the number of participants is about the same as it was the previous year. The number of people in our Elevate teams, team members are about the same as the previous year. And the number of attendees, weekly in our Elevate Kids live experience is about the same as last week, so, year. So we're maintaining, but it's not something we like to celebrate because we ultimately wanna celebrate progress in those areas. Oh, Jeffrey. And then there's unfortunately some areas that we're regressing. We've actually gone backwards in the last 12 months. And this is just us being transparent. We're not just gonna put up the razzle dazzle because this is stuff we need to own and God's gonna call us to action on stuff. Adult attendance, our actual numbers, adult bums on seats on a Sunday morning has gone down in the last 
12 months by about 20 to 25%. The number of salvations in our adult life experience has gone down from last year and our giving has gone down a little bit as well. If you're anything like me, you get to this last bit, I'm a fighter. I mean, I'm a lover, but I'm a fighter for stuff that matters. And this stuff is the stuff that matters. That, 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 that as we walk in and see empty seats, we're praying that that would bother us because someone out there needs to be in here to hear this message that needs to rise above the noise. So, so this adult attendance number needs to move into the progress section of our report next year. And it's something that we all have to own. And so there's a little, very simple call to action that I'm putting out right now this morning. Let's go all in on prayer. Don't just pray for yourself and the people you know who are already following Jesus. Push to the top of the list, like Paul wrote, people who aren't yet following Jesus. And you know them, you interact with them. Some of them you live with, some of them you work with, some of them you study with, some of them you, you share lawnmowers with, some of them you, you haven't returned their whippersnipper from four years ago and you feel shame and regret because of that. But you know people who need to be here to hear the message of Jesus. But before you get to invest and invite in them, you need to be praying for them, that God will give you open doors and opportunities, that that their defences will come down, that their heart will be more open. Prayer. We've started doing that the last six Thursday nights. We've met here for an hour, Thursday nights, praying specifically for outsiders. We didn't lay hands on each other for miracles and that's all good, but we, we, we angled our prayers and have been angling our prayers on a Thursday night, six to seven, for people who don't yet know Jesus, for God to use us individually and corporately to get his message to rise above the noise in their hearts and lives. This Thursday is the seventh and final night that we're gonna gather for, our, for, for that prayer, 6 p.m. If you haven't been for the last six, we're not gonna throw shade on you. I want you here, six to seven. People bring their dinner in their little Tupperware. It's cute. Uh, you can do that. Um, I appreciate not everyone. There's no time and day and that'll suit everyone. But if you haven't, we're gonna pray again and we're praying for more and more people. And God's actually breaking our hearts more that this has to be a priority while we're praying for it to happen. Consistent and passionate attendance. Being here on a Sunday morning, this is the start of the week, and, and I'm never gonna guilt you into being here. Uh, oh, I haven't been for the last three weeks. Oh, I see. That's not how we play this. This, and, and, and I wouldn't ever want us to be thinking about this as oh, I didn't get much out of that this morning. Not sure if I'll come back next week. You've got something to contribute. You've got something to add. Not, and not, not just a number, but passion and faith and, 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 and the ability to connect with first-time guests and, and have their story connect with yours and your story connect with them and, and, and see yourself as an insider that God's planted here to become a, a connection point for outsiders. But that doesn't happen if you're not here. And, 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 I don't, and, and, and I don't want us to be the sort of church that turns up if, if we've got nothing else on. Oh, no family commitments this week. Might as well go to church. Had one of our families share with me three weeks ago that they told their extended family a few years ago, feel free to invite us to something on a Sunday morning. We're never gonna come because we're gonna be at our church. We'll come later if you're still rolling. 
but we will, just don't even invite us because we'll always say no. And they told him why. I said, I do the same. And you say, oh, you're paid to be there. Well, not for the first seven years that I was in church five times every weekend, which was my story, by the way. And it's funny that I got employed having shown passion and commitment. But anyway, which came first, huh? Invest and invite those names that we're about to stand and pray for. Be the gospel at all times. And where the opportunity presents itself, use words. Invest and invite. And then giving. We talk about giving unashamedly here. I have very little, if any, emotional commitment to money, apart from understanding the power of what it can do when we put it to the right places. We taught this a few weeks ago. Wealth is not a bad thing when it's used to do good things. The thing about greed is making the assumption that everything God blesses us with is for our own consumption. Should write that down, J-Mac. That's flipping good right there. So that name or names, how about, you, how about you stand right now? We're gonna finish. You don't know this, but I have a countdown clock at the back and it starts at 30 and it goes to zero and then it starts to, to count back up in red with a minus sign in front of it. And uh, it's broken this morning. So I have no idea how much over time I've been preaching for and nor do you. And I ain't done because this is actually the most important thing we're gonna do this morning. I'm not gonna take long, but, 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 but who or whose, that's not correct, English, name or names have you got in mind? It's a pretty, I mean, God bless you all for standing because this is a pretty brave thing because this is sort of prayer that God wants to actually answer. So if you know, it doesn't always answer my prayers. He wants to answer this one, top of the list. Somebody in your world, Someone in just in your sphere that doesn't yet know him, that doesn't yet know that he died so they would never have to. Um, but also know he's probably gonna want you to do something about it. To invest and invite, to be the gospel, to use words. The real work does actually start beyond praying when we leave these doors this morning. God, <clears throat> I thank you for this incredible message that we've come to know personally, that you sent your son Jesus so that we could be reconciled to you, that our relationship could be restored. And that we can call you father and that you call us sons and daughters. And that we have a tri triple A pass to your throne room every day of our lives. God, this morning, I pray that you shake us to an even greater realization that that message isn't just for our own personal consumption. We're not oblivious to the challenges of having this message rise above the noise, God. We're standing with a name or names firmly on our mind and in our heart of people who are living without you and who run the risk of spending eternity without you. So God, we pray boldly that you would give us open doors 
and opportunities. Open doors and opportunities. And that we would have the boldness and the courage to walk through those open doors and seize those opportunities with the sensitivity that comes from listening to and following your Holy Spirit's guidance. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.